NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. After Juan showed me Catalina's letter from the Vatican, we all congregated in the kitchen for a little while chatting. Juan was asking me what I thought about the case and about the investigation. He let me know that he was never okay with the way the police left it. We had a good chat before I asked him to settle back into the living room where my recording equipment was still sitting on his couch. And before I play the second half of my interview with him, I do want to point out that during our kitchen discussion, he asked me about Jennifer's background. In that chat, I explained to him how the family had been Jehovah's Witnesses, that they had been disfellowshipped, and that Jen seemed to be rebelling, skipping school and hanging out with a rough crowd. I only mention that because later in the interview, it comes up again. I'm just recapping what we discussed earlier, because without the previous conversation as context, it kind of sounds like I'm just describing Jen as a member of the church choir, which is not the case. I was just referencing back to what I had explained earlier. I just don't want any of you to think that I was trying to mislead Juan about Jen or trying to whitewash her background. With all that being said, this is Season 10, Episode 24, The Mendiolas, Part 2. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You remember on the day of the murder, uh, when you got to go to the scene, the detectives taking you into the apartment to tell them if anything was missing from inside. I think so. There was the weird thing in there was so I, I mentioned earlier the the butcher knife, right? That the the police thought that she had been stabbed with a butcher knife. I don't know. They were one of the things that when they did, like you say, they told me, you know what. Anything they were kind of hinting at the fact that they couldn't find a damn the dime knife. The what what knife? The knife. So they were hinting at to you that they couldn't find the knife. That they could that they could not find the knife. And the the thing was, you know Check the no, I mean oh uh, no, the all the knives were there. And then later on I hear that after after the the, the jury after the trial and all that. I hear somebody told me that they had found some. Somebody told me that they had found a knife behind the refrigerator or some shit. Did they? I think so. I think they found those a uh, butcher knife. A butcher knife? Yeah. I don't remember anybody telling me it was a butcher knife. Yeah, no. that was a. Uh, I think it was a police who was saying that. What what they what they found behind the wallet or behind the fridge was her Catalina's wallet. Oh, okay. Is that um. And it was six months later, and it was the that Eva that lived upstairs, which is where Jennifer was also staying. They in June, so the murder was October. This was June. They pulled the refrigerator out to paint, and stashed in the coils 
behind the fridge was the wallet. Uh, but there's a whole, <laughs> that's a whole mess too, because. When did he find it? It was six months later. It was before the trial, but six months after the murder, after Jennifer was arrested. So this, as the story goes. This, if she was murdered in October. Right. And this was June when they found the wallet. So the year. The next year. Yeah. Um, it's, it's so the apartment upstairs had sat vacant for six months and the painters went in as the story goes, they pull out the refrigerator and he finds a wallet sitting in the, stuffed into the coils, which looks like they were the way it was laid out, just like your aunt's apartment. You probably don't remember, but there was like the counter and the wall. It looked like from the side, someone stuck, mm-hmm. you know, stuck it in mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, then, the painter tells the maintenance man that there's this wallet. <laughs> that sound you just heard was Juan's wife walking across the room and sitting next to him or almost on him on the love seat. Just a little bit too close for Juan based on his reaction. And then the maintenance man tells the police officer that just patrolled the apartment complex about it. That cop then takes the wallet, supposedly reports it to the detective that they found the wallet, and then puts it in his car and drives around with it in his car. <laughs> for it, it was days before the trial. The detective says, where's the wallet? And they find it in a grocery bag in the back of this guy's car. <laughs> so there was all sorts of shadiness. Never mind about that. And destroying evidence with the right, and they still entered it as evidence at trial. But crazily enough, they as so when the FBI profiler looked at the case, I explained the whole thing to him, and he's got the case files, he's going through the documents, and his first statement was, "And you mean to tell me these cops never once thought maybe Eva was involved with it? Who instead of Jennifer, the other? So there's there's more there, there's more stuff with her. So when you break." For some, the reason Jennifer got, got hooked up is because the, the police interviewed, there was four people staying in that apartment that morning. Police interviewed them all. And for some reason, they take Eva's statement is the truth. And then anything that doesn't match her statement must be a lie. And, and then, so then they end up going after Jennifer. And, and she points them at Jennifer and says, well, she told me to lie. So they, that's how they got after her. But when you look at the statements, Eva confirmed, lied about her alibi. She had said, um, so these two boys were asleep in the back bedroom. The two boys and Jennifer were all sleeping in the back bedroom, and Eva was out on the couch. Everybody's stories line up. They're interviewed in three separate rooms. They all tell the, the two boys or brothers the story of they heard some noise. They heard Eva open the front door. So the one gets out of the bed, steps over the other one on the floor, goes out and sees Eva standing at the door. The other one brother with a different cop in a different room tells the story. I'm sleeping on the floor. We heard a noise. We heard the door open. Her brother gets out, steps over me. It goes out front. We look and there's Eva standing out the front door. And then she goes down. Eva tells the police, there I am sleeping in the living room. And the one brother, KD, is sleeping right next to me on a chair. And the other brother, who they called youngster, comes out of the back bedroom and comes and wakes me up and says, hey, do you hear the screaming? And then we all go outside. So she makes up this whole story so that she's with these guys when they heard screaming. But 
she wasn't. They got woke up, they heard screaming, and then they heard her open the front door. My personal just hypothesis is that that was her coming back in. We never, we out. never saw her. We never met her, dude. Never talked oh, to which one? Neither one of them. You know her, Jennifer. Uh, the only thing I remember, I saw, I saw her in the, uh, on the, uh, on the court, uh, the oh, yeah, court, at the courthouse. But not, but that was that, uh, yeah, yeah, no, mm-hmm. yeah, not, not, you never came that, across that's a young one, right? Cause yeah, I, uh, I remember Katita was saying that a, uh, that there's a kid, poor kid, she said, poor kid always live, always by herself upstairs. Mm-hmm. So I assume that that's her. Right. Say, uh, she's the only one. She's the youngest one, I, I guess. She was saying there's a poor kid always by herself yeah. upstairs. Yeah, she said uh, there's a poor kid upstairs, and she always by herself. Well, so that I wonder if so. Eva had a four or five year old daughter that was with her some of the time. I wonder if that's the kid. That she was talking about if she leaves um, the kid that, up there. Uh, she didn't mention the name, but the only thing... But she said a kid that was yeah. left upstairs alone. She, there's a poor kid upstairs, and she always there by herself. Hmm, I bet that was it. Did you ever talk about the her her neighbor right next door on the lower? Mm-hmm. woman's name was June. Because um, they talked, you know, she gave statements to police, too, and said that, that her and Catalina had talked about all the noise upstairs. and the, But the, the problem is, so when we get it when we're going through the police files is as soon as you start to identify that the police were twisting things to make their case, all of a sudden now you can't believe anything that's in this. With the, the, uh, wouldn't the report have, uh, got the signature? Mm-mm. Why not? No, it's, uh, it, it was just, a, it was after there's one complaint that, that, I mean, if you do a complaint, I'm assuming that, Hey, what you're saying is true, so sign on the dotted line. Yeah, there was none of that. Well, the I only the only complaint like that we have is is where she would turn in maintenance tickets from months before, and she had she had one she had complained that them smoking upstairs, the smell was coming down, but that was turned in as just a maintenance ticket where they put some kind of carbon filter upstairs so the smoke wouldn't come down. But the leasing all we know about the complaints is the leasing agent saying this is what she said to me. No. As far as smoke is concerned, most definitely. Yeah. She was totally, uh, once upon a time, she used to smoke. Mm-hmm. And she quit. And as the years progressed, she was very sensitive to smoke. I mean, she could. Right. Tell you, hey, somebody came in through here that was that, that had been smoking. Yeah. And that one, for sure, we have, I mean, her, she signed that one. That one was a, but again, it wasn't like she was really complaining about them. She just turned in a maintenance ticket as it somehow make it so I don't have to smell the smoke coming down from up there. Yeah. Uh, but the, the other complaints um, were yeah. just the... But the, the loudness and... Uh, I, I don't know. Well, well, the, the problem we have, the, the way this case, the way they got away with prosecutor, with investigating the case the way they did is nobody... We have no one's own voice. Not a single witness. All we have are the police. So the police would talk to someone like you, for example, they talked to you, and then they wrote a report about what you said. Even the people who have written statements, which typically are, they have somebody sit down and write out their statement, all of the written statements are the police typing up a statement, printing it, and having them sign it. So we have nobody's, we, we don't know what people, and, and then we keep coming across, 
So it's interesting. You were mentioned I, uh, when you went in and they were, they kept, you said kind of hinting to you that there was a, yeah, it, what, it was, it was kind of like, um, uh, find what we're looking for, knowing more or less what we're looking for. I mean, <laughs> you know, right. You know, it's kind of, oh, okay. No, you know, hey. I don't see anything out of place. So it surprised you that the police report says that when you came, when you came in, they wrote in the report that they asked you if anything was missing mm-hmm. and that you now, told them the large butcher knife yeah, was right. missing. My first, my first thing would be, you know, her, her wallet. Uh huh. Your car keys. Okay. Those to me would be the, the important thing. Right. And even the car keys, no, because I mean, sometimes, I mean, what the heck? Uh, she couldn't find sometimes couldn't find her herself. Right. So she was going to lose her car keys. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of like, okay. Uh, Do you think I there think, was a- any chance? I think her, uh, her check also was missing. Her check? His checkbook. Oh, the checkbook. They yeah. found the checkbook. It was in, it was in one of the purses that was oh. on, oh, that okay. was on the table, but the wallet was found yeah. later. Up yeah, now mind you, her wallet was basically with a little money in there. A couple of credit cards, maybe two or three, and her driver license. It was full of pictures. Right. I, I have actually inspected the wallet at the clerk's oh, you office. Did? Yeah. I, I, remember, I remember last time I was here, I showed you a picture of a nun asking it, it, who it was because she had a picture of a nun in there. It, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, it's like, you know, she was religious and, you know, hey. Did she usually carry much cash on her? Excuse no. me. Did she ever usually carry much cash on her? Or did she just use cards? Nah, nah, nah. No, she she nah. used a uh, she paid uh, mostly check. uh-huh. checks. Checks, yeah. yeah. That's what she liked to do. I saw that in the, her canceled checks are on the case file, and yeah. she would write checks for a dollar and thirty five cents <laughs> yeah. for a check for yes. five dollars. <laughs> so I, I assume know, she yeah. didn't carry a lot of yeah. cash. Yeah. 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 Yes, because one time I went to a, a venture. Used to be a venture store. She venture. bought venture. The rest. I mean the grocery store. And she would write down a... Uh, Say what? Yeah. Ventures to me are... Venture. Oh, Venture. 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 Used to be over there at Almeida. She would write down a check for $2 and something. I said, yeah. I said, God, that is it. No, it's okay. So I, I can keep up my uh, my expense. Yeah. Her checkbook was full of checks written for under $10. Yes. <laughs> Inside there. Because it was that, you know, it was like, well, was there, why did they take the wallet and was there cash in it? But it didn't seem like she was the type that really carried any cash on her. You know, most people who carry cash don't write checks for $1.35 you know, yeah. for, for things like that. Um, but yeah, the, the police report says that you, you said you, you, you knew that you knew very well that this large butcher knife was missing from a set. Because you knew she didn't have set. a set. <laughs> no. She didn't have a set, did she? I am the one who has a set. Right. She doesn't have a set. She just she would just have it there, no, honey. Yeah, she just have this one thing. She uses Little this drawer. to a uh, what the heck does she she uses? She oh, uses those things in special a uh, butt stutters. A uh, no, um, very nice. She got it with the, uh, with the, I think it was a chicken because she likes to buy those, uh. Oh, you cleaver? Yeah. (laughs) Oh my god, I hate those things. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, I have the cleavers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that, and that, I found that super odd because it, you know, it said that you could tell that the large butcher knife was missing from the set. 
I can see in the crime scene photo, she has a drawer full of random right. stuff. Right. And there's a butcher knife in there. What they're there's calling a butcher knife, the big large knife, chef's knife, I think they yeah. would call it. Yeah, sure. But there's one in there. And then I don't see anywhere in the kitchen where there's like a block with a set anywhere. No, she, she didn't. I'm the one who has a set, the block. Uh-huh. No, she doesn't have that. She didn't have that. No. And then, and then, somewhere along the line, I heard that this this girl had used it to, to stab her, and I, and in my in my mind, you know, really seriously. And God damn! That's what they were saying that they and stabbed then, her from behind. And, and then, thing. and then, so violently that they, they that she was all over the place. I mean, come on. She was stabbed, know. according to the report, that she was stabbed nine times. Yeah, they counted, they, they list a total of 12, but three of them weren't really, they were more cuts than stabs. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was, I think there was only a handful that actually, so, so on, on across her chest, it looked like a dotted line. There was like, no. which they thought was four, what the cop thought was, Detective Allen thought was four stabs with a big, large knife. But what we think that actually was, cause they're, they're, they're this deep, nice. is that, Someone from behind was maybe trying to like cut her throat. Cut her throat. And when she's hunched over and your skin crumples a little bit, that it was just one slice that when the skin stretches back out, looks like four mm-hmm. individuals. But that's, so, so you see, it's, it's how hard they, they tried to work that butcher knifing because the problem was the detective thought that's what happened. So that's what he wrote into her confession very specifically that they pulled out a large butcher knife and then they find out later. So the, the medical examiner's report, she was killed with a, it looks to me like a pocket knife. Yeah. This wide, this long. A little bitty knife. Nothing to do with a butcher knife. But they made their case because they put in their report that you said the butcher knife was missing and that she said there was a butcher knife and they just, they just manipulated the evidence. Yeah. And, and that's, and, and that's what I'm, what I'm saying. Like, I, I can't tell you that Jennifer Jeffrey is innocent. But I can tell you that it didn't happen the way that they said it happened. She yeah. might be involved, but she just uh... right. Well, not much. She's involved, but just not in the capacity that she was okay. placed in. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I she did it. I'm very confident in telling you that she was never in the apartment. And I say that because in in her confessions and her statements, she doesn't demonstrate any knowledge of. Anything that went on inside there. It looks like she does. Like, like I said, the, the butcher knife. It's very detailed. But they grabbed a butcher knife. But the white can't. The only thing, the only thing I would, I would tell you is that, uh, she would not have, well, she didn't have to answer the door. They came in from behind. Never mind. Right. Yeah, the door was locked times four. It was, it was locked dead. Because I mean, what I was going to say is that she would not just open for two guys out there. Right. Or a guy out there. But she would definitely open for the girl. For the girl, because <coughs> she knows yeah. her. Right. And that's a, so interesting so, like you say that, because another part of their whole story is that Jennifer's involvement was to knock on the door to get her to open the door. I know. That's what I heard, too. But that was... But you could see the... So there was the, the regular lock, a deadbolt, a keyless deadbolt, mm-hmm. and then the safety chain. Mm-hmm. It was all locked. The mm-hmm. So she didn't even take the safety. 
and and would you think if one of the young girls was down there knocking the door, she would have at least started the process of unlocking Mm -hmm. the doors. But that was part of what, you know, when she ran for the door, I don't know that she could have made it out anyway, but when she got there, it was, you know, it was, she had to undo four locks to get the door open before, before she could get out of there. But yeah, I don't, when, when, when you read through her confession and start breaking down the actual like crime scene evidence and everything, it, it, you find that there's, and you can tell everything came from the detective and you can tell where he didn't know. So the white, do you know what the white ceramic thing was that was used that was hit or, or it was a pot or? I didn't even know there was something that she had been hit on the head. Yeah. Did you? What is it? That so, she had been hit in the head before? Was it ceramic pot or ceramic something? I thought that's what they said that that's how she died. Well, it, it, she was some sort of, we don't know what it is because it was smashed, but it was some sort of white ceramic flower pot or something or figure. She had those yeah, that's what they're saying, a flower pot that they, they that hit they it in her head. That was smashed over her head. Flower mm-hmm. pot? Yeah. And then, well, but it didn't have flower because there's no dirt inside of it. So it was, I think it might have been a figurine or maybe had fake flowers in it. It might be a figurine. Right. Yeah. Because she collects whole bunch she, of figurines. She, right. Yeah. So someone came in I don't and remember hit her with that. Well, that part was, that was just, you know, something maybe this big. It was just, you know, there was enough glass. But there. I'll so tell you what, even if it was, it would not be hit. Right. Yeah. It would have been light. Very so light. she was, looks like she was hit with that. And then she was, another thing that's really confusing. So the, and then she goes down and then she's, then she's stabbed starting on the chest and rolls over and onto her back. But then. The strangest thing, and if you were in the apartment, I don't know if it was still there, but there was a big flower pot, a big orange, looks like an outdoor flower pot full of dirt that was like thrown on top of her. And then there was like a metal cast iron stand that that flower pot sat on that was in the living room too. And we don't know, like, did, would she ever like bring her flowers inside? Well, I you see she, those, you see those stands? I think yeah. she has. Though some of those stands were hers. That. See this one right there? I think I, I think there's one? one right there at the corner. No, 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 yeah, but not that one. I think that. No, that's not the one. That one. But, but no, no, just. To, I think she had a. Just to show you, see? Yeah. Right? Okay, you would put a flower pot on top of it or inside of it. It was similar to that. But yeah, she she had those. Yeah, she had those. And and so the and then the pot on the patio there were. There was there a, plants. Yeah. There was all those plants. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And one of the plant, there's a planter on the patio that was a big orange, like five gallon pot full of dirt. And it's the one that was found inside was like the twin to that. It was a big plastic outdoor pot. And we were trying to figure out if the killers took it in with them she, and hit her with uh, it. Yeah. She, she has a big plant. Plastic, big plastic. Yeah. Inside that? She has, it's an, I think it's in the balcony or well, that's not I mean, inside. on the balcony. Yeah. The yeah. Not inside. Out on the balcony. And, yeah, outside uh, she would, but I don't think she would bring in a, a big pot. I don't think she would. First of all, <laughs> she wouldn't be too crazy about the heaviness. Right, yeah. And I would probably have to be called in. <laughs> right. So I, no, I don't remember having to do any of that. So I don't think she had a big flower pot in. And when I mean big, I mean like a, a diameter 12. Yeah. Yeah. Even that's too big. This one's, this one's probably 12, 14 inch. Okay. So you're talking about that size? Yeah. Ah, this even though, even that part right there, that's humongous sucker. The entrance is, is not in that, is not, no, you don't see it. When you came in, mm-hmm. there, there's a pot right there. Yeah. Even that monster, the pot is a, basically a 14 inch. Yeah. So she didn't have any monsters like that. Yeah. Not inside. They're all outside. And that's, and again, it matched. It was, and even outside. 
she's not going to have something that massive. Yeah. She doesn't need to. What for? Her plants are usually, you know, small plants, decorative plants, you know, with a whole bunch of leaves and whatnot, but not that require a big old pot. Nah. No, I yeah. don't think she has that big yeah. pot. I don't know where she got those from. Yeah. She had two of them. One of them, one of them still on the pad, was still on the patio. <clears throat> if it didn't have a plant in it, which I guess is October. I don't know how I'm from Michigan. So in Michigan, we don't grow up anything in the wintertime here. Yeah. I guess you can still grow. No, you just leave them out there unless they start freezing. Uh huh. Then you put them in. But yeah, you can leave them out. But you know, and then the other thing I thought of too is her, you know, her apartment kind of faced north. So I can't imagine she had too many like live plants inside because they wouldn't get any. There's no way for them to get sun yeah. inside. I but thought just, I uh, I remember that. No. Nah. Uh, yeah. No. That girl might be uh, Jennifer might be knocking the door and coming in their room, and then a uh, what room? Their room? Whose room? No, a Kata's room. Oh, okay. She might uh, the knock the room, the apartment, and okay. come inside and uh, open the uh, the patio. And let them let in. Those, yeah, let those, yeah, not, not if they, not if they make a mouse with a jam. Yeah, they broke the patio. If they, if they make a mouse with a jam, you know, hey, then they don't need her. Yeah. They don't need her. And well, besides, it's very easy to make a mouse with those stupid patio doors. Yeah, a little plastic block on them. Yeah, I mean, you <laughs> breathe on them hard enough and they'll fall over. Yeah. And that was the other thing with it, or like the whole, the entire story of her confession to me. If these two grown men wanted to break in there to steal the car keys, why do they need a fifteen-year-old girl to knock on a door? Well, like I said, it's, it's, she's a uh, she's friend with Kata. Yeah, it might be easier for her to come in and mm-hmm. use her to go no, get the key. No, no. But they didn't use her to come in. They came to them slightly with class. Right, and that's that's just it. So that would make you sense if they had went in the door. You don't need it. What for? Even for distraction. Now you could do that for distraction. Come to think about it, the girl coming. Hi, Kata. Can I come in? Meanwhile, the other two sneak on behind her. Yeah, for that reason. But that means also that she was never inside that apartment. Right. Why? Because there was a damn door there with a whole bunch of locks on it. Mm-hmm. No way. And she was about to crawl the fence to go jump in the dam, to go jump, to go through the through the backyard, patio. through the patio door. Yeah. Yeah. It's. I think, you know, I'm going to continue working on the case as, as, as we move forward. I, I want to be able to talk to maybe some of our old church friends and see if there's any trying to th- see if I'm still on the right track more than anything. Cause to me, it seems like the, the obvious, the only conflict we know of it looks like it was a personal cause homicide. The only conflict we know of was with the Eva upstairs, the, and then Eva's also the only one that lied about, lied to the police about her alibi. She changed her story four or five different times. We've determined the whole story of the fake voice calling from inside. That never even happened. That was all made up. That was her make, coming up with an excuse as to why she, why she. And yet we were fit that story. Mm-hmm. We were told that story. Mm-hmm. That's the story we were told. Right. And that's the same story the jury was told. Yeah. But so, so this, I mean, you're, you're, you're you strike me as a pretty sharp guy. Yeah. So Eva's story is. That she went down, she heard screaming, says, Are you okay? And then he, and then hears a voice come in that she knows is a man's voice pretending to be Catalina's voice saying, I'm okay. I just fell and hit my head. And she says, and I knew that wasn't her voice. 
So I said, forget this, and ran to get help. She goes to get help. She, she tells them, I heard my neighbor, my neighbor screaming, she's hurt, someone needs to get help. Doesn't call police, tells them just to call an ambulance. Originally, they said that so she told her that she was dead. Now, if the reason she ran in there was because she knew there was a man inside there attacking her, then why didn't she tell the leasing agents to call the police? Not only that, I mean, if you're a girl, are you just going to go in there and do anything with a guy? No, she, she, the story, that story. Even, even just going back, knowing full well, there's a guy in there mm -hmm. that just killed somebody. Am I going to go in there also right. to see what the hell? What the hell with it? I wouldn't be within a mile away. No. Bye. And she sent all the, the, the leasing agents to go running in there. And it was because what we figured out was the story about the fake voice. She hatched that story hours later. It wasn't like that was the plan. She was panicked and ran and told them, you know, I need to look like I'm a good Samaritan and told them to come help. And then later changed the story to, oh, I heard this voice and I knew she was being attacked. And then in her third statement then says, oh, no, it wasn't a man. After they arrested Jennifer, she says, you know, come to think of it, it wasn't a man's voice. It was Jennifer's voice I heard that was pretending to be Catalina's voice. I don't know. You know, quite frankly. Um, my bottom line to the whole thing is I don't believe what happened. I don't believe that she was by herself, Jennifer. I don't believe she's actually the one who, as the saying goes, pulled the trigger. Mm -hmm. Okay, she, yeah, she was involved. Uh, how? Mm -hmm. But I don't think she's the, I don't know. So if it's not her, so oh, why that's is she right. protecting that's her? Right. Oh, why they're protecting. Oh, they're protecting is very easy. Why she's oh, they're not, protecting is very easy. So she's just gonna. Yeah. You get some. You get somebody over there to tell you you better shut up or you're dead. Also, what are you going to do? She. I shall stay forty years in prison. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. That's exactly the plan. And now, now that it's gone so far, and in prison, that shoot, you don't know who's going to knife you in the back anyway. Right. Now, what the hell? Yeah, no, she ain't gonna do it. She ain't gonna say anything. She's gonna keep her mouth shut. No, so the best thing to do is go after wherever the evidence leads you. And that's all, that's all we're trying to do. And if it, I, I, I'm hoping, I think she has an attorney now that, cool. uh, Jennifer does. And, and he's working on, I think he's a guy out of New York and he's, I think he's working for free on the case. Uh, yeah. And he's, he's tr trying to get some motions for some DNA testing. Um, because yeah. they didn't, at that time, they didn't do any of that shit. Right. They had the capability for some of it, but they, they, uh, they didn't want bad evidence. <laughs> so for example, when they did the DNA on the pot that was broken over her head, mm -hmm. They test it, and the analyst comes back and says, there's Catalina's DNA, and there's two other profiles, on which is the murder weapon. So they test it against They They take Jennifer's DNA, test it against it, and they say, nope, it's not hers. And so they say, they didn't test it against Eva's DNA or anybody else or any other suspects. Oh, I thought that they found a, a hair. There so was, was a hair. hair. There, was, there was hair in her hand. And they compared it to Catalina, 
and Jennifer. Some of the hair, they said, was um, could have been Catalina's. It had some similarities to Catalina's, but was not Jennifer's. So do you think they did DNA testing on the hair to see whose it actually was? Nope. Because they didn't want any bad evidence. They Personally, I think... I think Jennifer was, from what I'm seeing in the case right now, after three months of working on it, I don't, I don't think she has a clue what happened. I don't think she, I, I think she came walking up from making her phone call that she was, was confirmed. We confirmed she had gone to another apartment to make a phone call that morning and came walking back into all this chaos. And then as soon as Eva started getting pinned down by police, Eva said, she told me to lie. And the police just grabbed her and, why would she, uh, 14 years old, tell her to lie? I mean, it's also <laughs> possible Eva might be one of those players that, you know, hey, uh, the police go lightly on her because she offers information and somebody how else. She, how old is that Eva? Eva was 24. She's older. Yeah. Jennifer she knows was, better. Jennifer yeah. was 15. She knows how to manipulate. She was 15 that time. Yeah. Uh, and uh, she had just turned 15, just like um, like three, four weeks oh. before she had turned 15. Yeah. Um, in a sense, I feel sorry for the kid, in a sense, okay? Um, because I don't think justice was served. I think she was left holding the bag and, hey, this tough kid, what can I say? No. But I also know that even if she does know something, she ain't going to say it. I think she will. No. I, I, I think oh, I should say this. I think she would have because so that, that's something that people says. Well, she won't. She wouldn't snitch because she doesn't want to get killed or whatever. Yeah, yeah the consequences. Yeah, but she did. So in the police reports and in her interviews, so she gives her first statement to the police. Then they take Eva's statement, and then they don't line up. So they just presume Eva's telling the truth and bring her back in and tell her, "Well, we know you're lying." And she for hours she's like, "I'm not lying. That's what happened." And then they say, well, we know that's not true. So then she says, she and this is what I think there may be some truth here. She says, okay, I'll tell you the truth. Eva and some guy named Frank told me the night before that they were going to go rough her up because of the complaints. So she told the police that. And then they told her, nope, that's not. For some reason, they just know Eva's innocent. They refuse to accept that as well. And then, then hours later, they take her and they, they, I mean, it's all in the report. They give her candy bars. They take her out to Burger King and they literally tell her while she's sitting there and they're typing out her confession for her, her mom calls because her mom had been calling all day trying to get a hold of her and, and they refused to tell her where they were at. Her mom calls and they tell her mom and she says, I'm coming to get her now. And they says, no, 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 you don't need to come get her. We're almost done. We're finishing taking her statement and then we'll bring her right home while they're typing her. So they, they told Jennifer, we had, we know they told Jennifer, if you sign this statement, you get to come home. And so we see this a lot in false confession cases where they'll, especially with a minor, they'll tell them, look, just tell us who did it and you get to go home. So, she, so if you read her confession, that's what she does. She says, this guy, Tim and this guy, Ernest, they did it. I was just there as a lookout. And she thinks she's giving them what they want so she can go home without realizing that what she just signed her name to was an aiding and abetting murder charge, which could be in Texas can be charged as murder. But she would, they, 
The only reason she signed that confession is because she'd been there for seven hours with no mother, no attorney, and was told that if she signed it, she could go home. I mean, uh, coming back from making a call and just getting in there, and and here's this scene. Oh, come on. Who the hell did it? I was out here behind the door. I wasn't, I mean, I was out here in front of the door. I wasn't behind the door. It's kind of like, mm, but I don't know. It's tough. And then, I don't know. It's, and also police paint this picture of her that she was like this drug addict. Yeah. She, she was a Jehovah's Witness. She was, her, her mother, like, she was kind of rebelling against her mom a little bit. But she was a very, she lived a very sheltered life in way East Texas, out in the country, in Tennessee Colony. And they were raised Jehovah's Witness. And, and the only reason they ended up in Houston, they were only there for a few months, was because her older brother was shot and killed <clears throat> two years before this. Uh, he was away, he was at college, came home from college, was at an arcade, and there was some gang shootout, and he ended up getting caught in crossfire. And then the next year, it, her mom worked for TV, for the prison system. The next year, her mm-hmm. other older brother. Yeah, I remember that. Somebody cancer, told me that. Yeah. Got cancer, and he died, and while he was dying, they um, they moved to Houston to get him closer to the children's hospital, and then he ended up passing away anyway. And this, so that's how they had landed in this place. But I mean, they painted her like she was some thug, gangbanger, drug. Yeah, and, and, and you know what? That definitely would be the type of person Kata would associate with. Mm-hmm. Okay, she would not have associated with a drug addict. Right. She would not have been friends with somebody because. Even though she wasn't, you know, she was kind of, okay, you live your world a little bit. She still would not associate with anybody in the drug field. Right. No way. No way. And in Jennifer's first statement, which was her first statement of what she did that morning, what she says is that she came down the stairs. She she had to go, but she went to make, and I said, this part is confirmed. She got a page from a family friend because she'd she she had stayed the night at Eva's house because her mom wouldn't let her have a boyfriend, and she was mad at her mom, so she was staying there that night. And she gets a page from a family friend who's trying to get him to sit down and have dinner together. She says she walks down the stairs, and Catalina was out on the patio taking care of her um, plants. Mm-hmm. And then she said good morning to her, and they exchanged good mornings, and then she went off way to the front of the complex to make her phone call. And by the time she came back, when she comes back, Eva's running away, then the managers are coming, and all this stuff is happening when she, when she got back there. I don't know if, if all that's true or not, but it was, but, but in every version hey, of But it kind of, kind of makes, you know, kind of makes sense that that would transpire, but, but sometimes, of course, what makes sense isn't really what does. Right. Uh, unfortunately, but I mean, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, I think the, inve- the investigation was not thorough. Well, the frustrating part is that they that they would seem to be manipulating you through the process too. That they weren't sharing any of this with you and were just giving you a version of a story to make you feel. We like, have no clue what was yeah, going on. <laughs> you got a version of a story that made you feel like you got justice, but even that was you still had to be wondering why didn't are we going after the other two guys? Yeah, when she was convicted, they just told us that yeah, we're gonna call you when uh, when uh, after twenty years when she gets parole and whenever received. So we assumed that she didn't get it. She didn't get out. Yeah, most of them aren't even eligible for it. Did okay. you ever ask them if they were ever going to go after the other people involved? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, what, yeah. What they tell you? No, the reply was, we got it. That was all there was to it. We got the, we got the culprit. 
That was it. So did you even end of story? Did you even know then that the that that what they presented at trial was that she was only the lookout and that two other people actually killed him? Well, honestly, uh, at least me, I'm in a trial over this type of stuff, and all I can do is think of my auntie. Mm-hmm. You know. All the other stuff that you find that you've placed out at, at, at least at that point in time, okay? Right. In the trial. You know, it's kind of like it just goes out the door. Right. It doesn't. Didn't matter. Doesn't matter. Right. Doesn't matter. And later on, you know, you start inquiring, you start uh, getting more information or ju- even just processing that information. And you say, wait a minute. Come on. She she was not by herself. She she couldn't have done this to begin with. I did. I never had the confidence to say she did it. No, <clears throat> I don't believe it no. either. Because but I mean, Katita would would say about her that her she is. She's giving her food. She'll go in the morning, and a uh, she comes high. Yeah. That uh, that fourteen years old. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why. See that that. They never told me anything about her being a Jehovah Witness. Quite the opposite. She was a crack at it. You said that she was. She was a uh, blame it on crack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, the, in the nineties, that was the big war on drugs. At this point, I had been at the Mendiola's for over two hours, and the battery on my recorder was flashing at me. I shut the recorder off, and as I began to make my exit, Mrs. Mendiola told me to hold tight while she looked for Catalina's old address book. While she was off in another room, Juan and I continued to chat. Most specifically, I wanted to follow up with him about his statement that the police were hinting at him that the knife was missing. I told him that at the trial, he had testified that the knife was missing in his own words. And he kind of shrugged his shoulders and said, I don't know, the trial was such a blur to me. He said that he is certain that the detectives on the scene kept pushing him into saying that the large butcher knife was missing. And he's certain that Connellina did not have a set of knives. He said that leading up to the trial, as they prepped, everyone continued to, as he put it, hint to him that there was a large butcher knife missing. When I brought up his trial testimony again, he again just shrugged his shoulders and said that he doesn't know why he said that, but he does know that it was the detective that was insisting the knife was missing, not him. Mrs. Mendiola was unable to find Catalina's old address book. So the next day, I made the trip to her old church. I spoke with a very nice woman at the front desk and told her that I was hoping to get in contact with anyone who knew Catalina before she died. The woman said that she's sure that some of those women are still around. She told me that she'd ask around and have anyone interested call me. And just last week, I received an email from the front desk worker. She said that she had had to run my request past the archdiocese before she could give anyone my phone number or even ask anyone about Catalina. The archdiocese, unfortunately, denied my request. As strange as that is to me, the official ruling is that the office manager of the church is not allowed to ask any volunteers about Catalina or give any of them my number. So, at this point, I'm hoping that Mrs. Mendiola comes through for me. I sent her an email asking if she ever tracked down that old address book I haven't heard back yet, but hopefully soon. Because after spending so much time with Juan and his wife, I really want to learn more about the woman they call Kata.
Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing and sound engineered by Shane Yoder. All music for the show is created, composed, and scored by PutThemInASong.com, who also mixed and mastered this episode. All of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, TruthAndJusticePod.com, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Charlena White, Kaywood Yomnick, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, Lindsay Pease, Erica Cantor, and Jen Reese Incandela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels. For just $5 a month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes videos of the creation of our Friday follow-up episodes that always include 10 to 30 minutes of pre-show bonus chat. Other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. To become a patron, just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. And I personally can be found on social media at Bob Ruff Truth, and Mike can be found at Murb Gaming. M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G. Don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice. The Ford Ranger, a vehicle for all terrains and every passion. It's a workmate, a playmate, and to its drivers, a soulmate. So how do you improve the Ford Ranger? You go all in. The all-new Ford Ranger, the UK's best-selling pickup. Now available with rear bumper steps, tailgate workbench, and enlarged load box that can fit a Euro pallet. Go break it in. Search all-new Ford Ranger. Ford Pro. Driving productivity. According to SMMT data, features may be optional extras with additional cost.